Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. What a great video. And that's exactly what we talked about on Christmas Eve, that true and better Savior that, that God has sent for all of us to redeem us from our sins, Jesus Christ. Today, we want to extend the message from Christmas Eve a little bit and continue to talk about true and better, how this true and better Savior offers to us a true and better and eternal life. So we're going to dive into John chapter 1. If you brought your Bibles along with you, open them up to the Gospel of John chapter 1. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can get that out. We're the church that tells you not to turn your phone off in church, but to turn it on and open up your Bible app. One of my uh, strengths, finder strengths, is learner. And so one of the things that I I love to do is get on my computer and go to TED Talks. How many of you are familiar with TED Talks? Ever get on and listen to TED Talks? I love those. It stands for Technology, Entertainment, and anyone? Design. Thank you. Hey, someone is listening. So Technology, Entertainment, and Design. So I was on this this past week, and came across a fascinating conversation by a 16-year-old young man named Fanku. And I love this guy's comments because I think he, he indicates what a lot of us from time to time feel in our lives, and in particular, right around New Year's. This, this sort of feeling hits a lot of us. So let me just read what he wrote. First of all, I want to say thank you for even taking the time to read this. My name is Fonku. I am 16, currently a high school junior. My question is, why is life so complicated? Right there, does that have you? That had me. Why is life so complicated? My dream in life is to be a talk show host or a well-known motivational speaker. But there's really no specific path that will lead me to that. Now, if someone wants to be a doctor, they can go to medical school, earn a degree, and woohoo, you're done. But that's not the case in the things I want to do. I'm no good at math or science, and I actually have no interest in them whatsoever. I want to major in communication when I get to college. But I have websites, my parents, friends, telling me that a degree in communications will get me absolutely nowhere. If any of you know Phil Bischoff, he has a degree in communications. Look at where it led him. And he is a fantastic speaker. All right. I feel like I have nothing going on for me. I just feel like a total failure right now. I wish I loved chemistry and math. My dad wants me to do something in the medical field because of the job stability, but I don't want to because I know I won't enjoy it. And I I don't want to spend my life doing something that I absolutely dread doing. Anybody relate to some of these feelings? 16 years old. Amazing. To sum this up, I have an idea of who I want to be. I, I don't need a mansion, three cars, millions in my bank account. I wouldn't mind having those things, though. But he's still 16. I I know those are not the things that will fulfill me. Awesome. When I close my eyes, I do see a nice house with my partner and beautiful kids. 
me on my own talk show or me giving a speech in front of hundreds of people. Guy ought to be a pastor. Helping people as much as I can and doing everything that I want will bring joy into my life. I feel like everyone else got a life's instruction manual and I somehow didn't get one. Right there. That's the line that hit me. I feel like everyone else got a life's instruction manual and somehow I didn't get one. Any advice would truly help. I don't know if you feel that, and I think a lot of us do, particularly at New Year's, because this is the time of year when we're constantly fed with the idea that this is the time when we are to better ourselves. But then, of course, that leads to the question of how are we going to better ourselves? What are we going to do? What's the list? What are the the resolutions that we need to make? How long is that list of resolutions going to be? And are we even on the right track with those resolutions? Is going to the gym really going to help me all that much? And any of you who works out at the gym knows what happens to most people who begin working out on January 1. By February 1, they've done all their workouts for the year and they're done. So do resolutions even work? And so this is what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what is the actual path? What is the actual way to a life that is true? A true north life and one that leads to actually a better life. The Apostle John wrote this gospel, one of the four gospels that we have that tells us of the life of Jesus. And I really believe that in this book, he uses the word life so many times that I think that was kind of the theme of this entire gospel is here is how you can have a true and better life. And he starts it out right in chapter one. You're going to hear him mention the word life many times. And it's going to go along with another word that he uses an awful lot, the word light. Life and light to him go together. Now imagine this guy's New Year's, the very first year after Jesus called him off his fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine how much his life had done a fruit basket upset. I'm guessing that the Apostle John, when he was a teenager, the age of Fanku there, was thinking to himself, I know exactly what the rest of my life is going to look like. I'm going to be sitting here fishing, and it's going to be a nice, quiet life here on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, I'll catch a lot of fish. I'll maybe uh, meet a young girl, and we'll have a nice little house. If, if I'm really blessed, maybe it'll overlook the Sea of Galilee, and it'll just be a beautiful picture with my garden, my fishing, and things will be nice. And then Jesus come, comes along and says, you know what? We're going to turn your life upside down. Instead of fishing for fish, you're going to become a fisher of men. And from that point on, John's life took a completely different track. And you know what he's really telling us in this entire gospel? Nothing could have made him happier. The day that changed his life when Jesus came to call him and invite him to follow him, be his disciple, and become a fisher of men was the best day of his life because it took his life on a whole new, a true and better track. And that's what John wants to share with, with all of us. So let's, let's start. Let's dive in right away into this chapter. 
because it is a beautiful chapter. I'm sure many of you have read it, but if you've never heard these words, you're going to really enjoy it this morning. He starts where we ought to start, in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. There's our theme verse. Chapter 1, verse 4. Will you underline double star? And then I want you to circle the words life and light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That's the verse that we're really basing our whole message on this morning. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the interesting thing about John is, I'm sure he didn't grow up highly educated, but by the time he's authoring this gospel, it's been many years since his youth, many years since he's begun to follow Jesus. He's actually become a very well-educated man at this point. And he's come to understand a little bit about Greek philosophy. And he's actually using some of that Greek philosophy in what he starts out writing here. He uses a word from Greek philosophy, which is translated with a capital W word here. And the, the original word in the Greek language is logos. We get what word from that? We get the word logic from it. And what the ancient Greek philosophers, and this goes all the way back to a gentleman by the name of Heraclitus, He was the Tony Robbins of his day, 450 B.C. And Heraclitus taught that there was a divine logic or a divine principle that pervaded the the entire world and formed the background. All activity came out of this divine logic that had been installed into our world. All human activity, all animal activity, all plant activity, and to a certain extent, even inanimate objects have this logos inside of them. You might think of it as sort of a a program, a piece of software that the Greeks believe had been installed in our universe that formed the background information, the logic, so to speak, that, that, that formed the operating principles upon which the entire world operated. And it was a creative principle, so it generated new things, but it was also a principle that kept things going and kept things steady and strong. Now, I want you to think about how the original Greeks would have thought of this. They would have thought of it very much like we would think of programming. Uh, A program that you install, a piece of software. Would we think of that as something animate, something alive, something personal? Nope. We'd think of it as something inanimate and impersonal. And that's exactly the way Heraclitus and the other philosophers thought of this logos. It was basically logical principles that formed the operating system of the world. John comes along and he says, I'm going to revolutionize your ideas of logos, of the word. Because I'm going to tell you that the true logos, the true operating software, the the true thing that created 
that is the background of everything that happens in this world is a person, is God himself, the Son of God. And that's where John is operating from. In the beginning was the logos, this operating principle. But it's really Jesus he's talking about, as we'll see when we read down. And the word was with God, and the word was God. This is God himself, a personal God. He was with God in the beginning. Go all the way back to the formation of of our universe, and God, this Logos, Jesus, was there. Through him, all things were made, and without him, there's nothing made that has been made. Now, does it make sense? If we would say that if this is true, that Jesus is the creative force of the universe and the maintaining life-giving and light-giving force of the universe, that John would say, if you want to find true life and true light, go where? To the source. Go to the source. And you can leave behind the, the little side things that the Greeks talk about. Let's just go directly to the person who created and who sustains everything. Now, this idea is truly life-changing. If you get my email, which is not just my email anymore, it's Pastor Dan's and my email. Together we write it every week. If you get our email, which if you don't, let me just give you a little side note, sign up for it. I talked this last week in it about a commercial. You've probably seen the commercials, the AT&T commercials, where there's a man interviewing kids and, and he asks the question of the kids sitting around the table, which is better, to be more reliable or to be less reliable? And one of the kids pipes up and he says, well, to be more reliable. And the gentleman asks him, why is it better to be more reliable? He says, because then you can keep your New Year's revolutions. And then the guy says, well, what, what revolutions do you want to keep? And he says, well, in 2014, I want to eat more jelly beans. That's a great revolution. You know why I love that commercial? Two things. One, I really believe that what John is saying to us here is just like that commercial. If you want to have a true and a better life in 2014, it's not about resolutions. It's about a revolution. It's about a complete sea change, the kind that John the Apostle himself experienced when Jesus came to him and said, follow me. And John is really saying to us, those are the most beautiful, life-changing words that you and I could ever hear, is for Jesus to come to us and say, come Follow me. And that from there on, because you're connected to the true Logos, the creative and operating person, not force, person of the world, this is life-changing. It is a revolution, not simply a resolution. Now, here's the other reason I like that commercial. Do you know that there's a line in every AT&T commercial Absolutely love it. And it's usually at the end of the commercial, and it's three words. It's not complicated. 
You see, that's what John is also saying here. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. You know how we make it complicated? We say that at New Year's, I got to have a dozen or 15 or 20 resolutions to make my life better, to change things. And we put it on ourselves and we burden ourselves. We take all the, the pressure on ourselves instead of what John is saying is, it's not complicated. Just hear your Savior say, come follow me. That's all you need to do. It's not complicated. So here's what I want you to write down. See this verse, John 10, 10? See what Jesus says? This is Jesus. I have come that they may have life. And then I want you to underline these words. And have it to the full. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have life and have it to the full. A true and better Savior offers a true and better life. There's your first fill-in. Now look at how John goes on. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, here's where it gets a, a, a little, you got to keep characters straight here. Because it is John the Apostle writing this gospel. And he is writing about another gentleman named John, but it's not himself here. He's writing about a gentleman named John the Baptist. Who was sent from God. To point to Jesus. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. How does God effectively point you and me to Jesus? It's pretty much been the same throughout history. He's always pointed people to Jesus, even as you go back into the Old Testament, read through the Old Testament. Jesus hadn't even arrived yet, but he was always part of God's master plan. And so Jesus would, or God would point to him through the prophecies of the prophets, which became scriptures. So when Moses wrote, he wrote about the very first promise that we find in Genesis 3.15 of a Savior, that God would send someone to crush the head of Satan. And then Moses tells the people in his own time, There's, God's going to send another prophet just like me. And you go on through the whole Old Testament, and always God was pointing forward to a day and a time when he would send a Savior for all mankind. Why? Because... Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, we've been walking in darkness, the darkness of sin. And sin is not just something that we do. It's like malware in the software. Why does a computer start to not work correctly? It's not its failure to work correctly that gives it malware. It's malware that causes it to fail to work correctly. And what Satan did in the garden is he introduced malware into the logos, into the, into the operating of our world. And it took the logos himself, Jesus Christ, to come and root sin out of mankind and bring light where before, because of sin, there had been only darkness. And so now, the time for these promises has come. God sends one last Old Testament prophet, which 
This person becomes the first New Testament prophet, a fellow by the name of John the Baptist, and he does the same thing that all the other prophets did. He points to Jesus and says, there he is. Now Jesus has come in the flesh. He is the Savior, the Messiah, the forgiver of sins, the restorer of our relationship with God. There he is. And he made it very clear. I myself am not the light. I came only as a witness to the light. Well, you, I want you to underline a couple words in this. And, and they're, they're the same word. In the second line of that passage, John 1, 6 to 8, underline the word witness. And then in the very last line, underline it again. And notice what it says John's purpose was. So that through him all might believe. The ultimate purpose of Jesus coming into the world was so that we might believe. The ultimate purpose of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior, the forgiver of sins and the restorer of our relationship with God is so that we might believe. And look at what Jesus says. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. What does a witness do when he gets into a witness stand? He testifies. If we want to find the testimony about Jesus Christ today, where do we go? Jesus says it. You study the scriptures. What I want to do now, as we head into this new year, is I want to give you four things that will be your way today of saying to Jesus, who says to you, come follow me, your way of, of stepping and beginning to follow Jesus. And the very first one is what Jesus says here. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures, Jesus says, that testify about me. As John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus... The scriptures point us to Jesus. And if we want to have life with, with this logos, this person who is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, then it's right here is what the Bible tells us. So here's what I want you to write down. This true and better life is made available to us through scripture alone. You know, in our world, you can, you can find lots of places where you can get wisdom. You can, you can go back and watch old episodes of Oprah. You can, you can get magazines. Guys, there's, there's uh, websites where you can be taught how to be a, a better man nowadays. There's all kinds of sources for wisdom. But there is no wisdom apart from from literature that points us to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see what's so awesome and amazing about the Bible, the scriptures, is that they all point us to the true Logos, the true Word, the true One who created and sustains everything and who creates and sustains a true and better life for us. And they do so with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. That makes this book truly unique and different from any other piece of literature 
that you're ever going to read because this is God's handwriting given to us through the prophets and the apostles. And that's why Jesus says, study them diligently because in these scriptures are not just a true and better life here. Do you see what he says? Because you think that in them, and you think this correctly, by the way, you have eternal life. Now, it's one thing to have a a true and better life right here and right now. But God says, these will bring you life after this life. And what's more, when does eternal life begin? Did you know that, in a sense, you're all already living in eternal life? Because when the Holy Spirit draws you to believe in Jesus as your Savior, convinces you, strengthens you, takes your cold, dead heart, and turns it into a living heart of flesh that can grasp Jesus, that's when you entered eternal life. Now, it's never perfect here because our eternal life is constantly fought against. Our own sinful flesh remains with us, that old Adam, There's the sin in the world around us. Our culture battles it. And Satan himself is out to pull us back. And so he's fighting it. So it's never perfect. But ask yourself this. The more you can live and walk with Jesus, is it not true the more that you can draw down and advance on the eternal life that you've already been given and experience an early deposit of the peace that you're going to experience in heaven? Experience a a little bit of the joy that you're going to one day experience perfectly in heaven? The closer you can walk with Jesus through understanding the wisdom of the scriptures, the truer and better this life is going to be too. In addition to having eternal life in heaven after you die. What an awesome promise this is through scripture alone. So let me ask you this. Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan for the new year to just study these words diligently? Because in these words are life and light and Jesus and forgiveness and peace and salvation right here, available to us. It's just as easy as as opening up this book or opening up the app on your phone. And, And one of the things that a lot of us just frankly lack is some sort of a plan to make sure that every day we we get a little taste of heaven by getting into the beautiful promises of Jesus and walking with him in the scriptures. So my first challenge to you out of today's message is do you have a plan? For 2014, you got a couple days. You can start on January 1. Have a plan for how you're just going to get yourself in and study scriptures diligently. Let's move on. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. Remember the whole purpose for John the Baptist, the whole purpose for the scriptures. John even says this in John 20, 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It's always to lead us to faith. Yet to all who did not, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent. Notice, none of this is natural. It's all supernatural. We're not born of natural descent. Just because your, your parents were Christians doesn't mean you're going to follow Jesus. Nor of a human decision. It's, it's not something that you go, I'm deciding that I'm going to be a Christian. You've heard me say it several times already today. The Holy Spirit has to take our cold, dead hearts and, and bring them back alive. Or a husband's will. No relative, no spouse can force you to believe in Jesus Christ. The only way you experience this birth is through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're reborn, it's because you're born of God, John says. When I read these words, I I get a beautiful picture of faith in my, my, my mind. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. You see there that, that John is equating belief with a reception. And when I think about that, I think about the ver- very first time I, I took Julie. We were, we were in college, and Julie and I started dating when I was in high school. It was probably four or five years into our relationship, and it was extended family. I took Julie to meet my Uncle Cutter and my Aunt Irene in Kentucky. Now, she had never met them because this was, you know, aunts and uncles and extended family that you saw once every five or six years at a family reunion. But we decided we were going to drive there especially because our relationship was getting pretty serious in late college, and I wanted her to meet more of my extended crazy family. And so I took her to Kentucky, and I'm a little bit nervous. You know, what's going to happen when we get to the door in some ways, they didn't even know me that well because, again, we'd only go back to Kentucky every five or six years. So we drive up and we park in the driveway and they walk out of the door. Now, you have to understand that this is hill country of Kentucky. Can you picture these people? Now, that's my stock. I'm, I'm from hillbilly stock. And... and they walk out of the door, and these beautiful hillbilly folk stride purposely across, ignoring me, go straight to Julie, and give her one hug after the other. First Aunt Irene and then Uncle Cutter, big embrace. And that is how they received Julie the very first time they met her. Never forget it, because I was so grateful for it. Do you see that that's what John is saying to us about Jesus? He starts out by saying that's not how he was received by his family, his own people. When Jesus came to his own, John says, they held him at arm's length. They stood there with with arms crossed. When he looked at them, they looked away. They didn't want anything to do with him. If the conversation was anything, it was only challenging questions about why are you here? And we need to test you. Now imagine if Julie had come to my 
Uncle Cutter and Aunt Irene's house, and that was the reception that she received, a kind of cold shoulder. You better prove yourself before we're ever going to embrace you. You see, what John is saying is, what a beautiful thing it is when we hear these words and promises from the Scriptures, and then we just embrace Jesus. We receive him in faith, and we trust him. And we trust his words and we trust his promises. Now, as I said before, that is not natural because our own beings, our natural beings are fighting it with every fiber. Satan is fighting it, but it is beautiful when it happens. And that's why John ends by saying it's not a natural descent thing, a human decision thing, a husband's will. This only happens when we're born of God. But you know why it's so beautiful? Paul tells us we live by faith, not by sight. What makes it beautiful is it takes us away from all the things that we normally live by that are so shaky. But they're all sight-based. When do you normally feel safe? Is it, is it when you get online now because you can do this so conveniently and check and recheck the balance in your checking account? Oh, okay, I'm good now because I have X in my checking account or I've worked my debt down this much and we're safe now, we're good. Is it when you, you drive up and you go, oh man, <laughs> that's a beautiful red truck parked on my driveway. I just feel all warm and safe and at peace because I got that beautiful truck parked in my driveway? Is it because you've got family and friends surrounding you? Is it because the last time you went to the doctor, you saw all the blood tests and all the numbers are just like, oh, look at these numbers. These are awesome. Glycemic index is way down there. Blood pressure, 120 over 70. I feel so safe because I can see it. Is it because you've been working out hard lately? You take your shirt off in front of the mirror and the muscles ripple even bigger than Pastor Jeff's? (laughs) Makes you feel safe? I'm telling you guys, John is saying there's a better way. Put your faith in Jesus because he's got the true muscle that we all need to live a true and better life. Christ is the one. It is through faith alone in him that we have a true and better life. Will you write that down? It is through the Bible alone and it is through faith alone. And when I say the Bible, I mean no other pieces of wisdom, this piece of wisdom. When I say faith, I mean not sight. That's why I'm using the word alone. Faith, not sight. And then we get into the essential message of Christmas. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, where I'm going is going to be very challenging for some of you. And it's, it's not that I'm going there, it's that John went there. And I'm just kind of trying to lead you where he went. And 
what he's really saying here is something that our culture doesn't accept. Something that really challenges us. He's really saying there's only one person who serves as the path to this true and better life. There's only one person who serves as the path to eternal life, everlasting life, life after this one. There's only one person who has the power and the ability to forgive your sins. There's only one person who can restore your relationship with God the Father through faith. You see what John is saying? The one who created and, and, and serves as the operating software, it, not software, not an inanimate thing, but an animate person, that person, Jesus, became flesh. God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the beauty of Christmas. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to explore that in just a moment. John the Baptist talked about him, testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this, singular, is the one, singular. Not these are the ones. Not these are the ones, but this is the one. I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. You know what makes this so challenging? Is that we live in a world that says, oh, there's many pathways to eternal life. There are many possible saviors. But Jesus himself is so clear about this. Take a look at the next passage that I wrote down. Jesus, these are Jesus' words himself. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is really saying there's only one gate, and we have to focus on that one gate because there are no other gates. And he's using imagery here from the shepherding life of the people around him. And in that shepherding life, they did not leave many gates in their fences because they were afraid of thieves and robbers and wild animals. They closed that baby up nice and tight to protect the sheep. And they left one way for the sheep to get out and move to the better life of green pastures and water. One gate. And Jesus is is using that image that was very familiar to all of them to say, I'm that one gate. If you want to find a true life and a better life, an eternal life, if you are looking for forgiveness for your sins, if, if you want hope in your life, if you want 2014 to be better, than 2013 and 2012 and 2011. If one day you want to walk through the pearly gates and enjoy true everlasting life with God forever, there is one person who can grant that to you. His name is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jojo. His name is Jesus Christ. And I know that what Jojo said out loud 
I know that was going through your minds, every one of you. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. I am the gate, he says. Will you write that down? Through Christ alone. And John goes to say, out of his fullness, that is Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The reason Jesus alone offers a true and better life is because he offers grace and he offers truth. And he says, this grace is just poured out upon us. It's like a conveyor belt. You take grace off, along comes the conveyor belt, there's some more grace. And grace is simply unconditional, undeserved love. God, God just keeps conveying on the belt of his love one package of love after another. Just the basics. Think about them. Did you deserve? Did you do anything to earn being created? What did you do to be redeemed and rescued from your sins? What about that cold, dead heart we've been talking about? What, how did you earn having your, your stone-cold, dead, spirit, spiritually dead heart be enlivened again? And then, and then after it was made alive, you were converted to faith and you trusted in Jesus. What caused you to start to put your faith into practice? To really trust and rest in Jesus' promises and to live according to those promises? Was that you? Just raise your hand. That's on me. I did that. And then furthermore, on top of all of those packages of undeserved love, because we did nothing to deserve any of those things. I'll just say it plainly. God says, when you get to eternal life, I'm going to reward you because you were so faithful. And you're like, me? No, Lord, I don't deserve any rewards. I was not faithful. You were faithful. Remember how Paul says it? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than them all, he says, yet not I, but the grace of God living in me. You know what's so beautiful about this? On Christmas Eve, we talked about how gratitude brings great joy. And do you notice that the word grace and gratitude have a common root? Do you want to be truly happy? Just stop trying to earn God's favor. Set down your tools. And simply say, Jesus, I'm going to rest in you and in your promises. I'm going to, I'm going to truly understand at the deepest possible level that everything I am, everything I have is a gift from you. It's all your love, your steady relentless, permanent love for me that caused you to forgive my sins, go to the cross for me, rise from the dead for me, give me eternal life. I was created. I was redeemed. I was restored and converted. I was given the power to live a new life, and I I will one day be given a crown of life in heaven, all Jesus because of you and your amazing love for me. It's all grace. Do you see what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's all a gift. So write this down through grace alone. Now, remember I started this by saying 
a revolution, not resolutions? I hope you go home with that phrase. A revolution, not resolutions. You know who started a revolution with these four pieces of truth? Through Scripture alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, and through grace alone? Any of you have ever studied the life of Martin Luther? There's a great movie about Martin Luther that you can rent. These are the four things that started the Reformation, that really started a huge revolution of faith that began in Germany and ultimately spread throughout the entire world. The interesting thing is Luther didn't really even set out to try to change the world. He was just trying to to bring Jesus to the church, and it completely created a revolution. John did the same thing. See what he says in closing? No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You want to start a revolution? Luther would say, and more importantly, John the Apostle would say, it's all about Jesus. Know Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Rest in Jesus' promises. Have Jesus be the very focus and the center and the heart of your life. In other words, and you can write this down, know Jesus, you're going to know God. But if you have no Jesus, John says, you will have no God. Now, we're going we're gonna to take this concept in the next nine weeks, and we are going to drive it home in a series called The Healer. On your way out today, would you pick one of these up? Because this is a series about how Jesus' love is the most powerful healing force in the world. And we're going to talk about this for the next nine weeks. And it's our new series. And I want you to invite your friends and your neighbors back to hear more about the healer, Jesus. And we want them to know Jesus and thus to know God. And we want them to not have no Jesus and therefore no God in their lives. In other words, for you and for your friends, your neighbors, and everyone, thriving in 2014 is not complicated. Jesus, grace, faith, and the Bible are the way to a true and better life. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, help us, Lord, to lay resolutions aside this New Year's and instead experience a revolution. The revolution that John the Apostle tells us about here, to just know Jesus and to trust Jesus with with all of our hearts. Lord, we know we don't have the power to do that. And so we are in prayer and we are asking for the gift of faith as you have first given us the gift of your one and only son, Jesus. Send your spirit. And as we sang a little while ago, build your kingdom here in our hearts and in this church and in this community so that others may know Jesus and thus know you and have a perfect and restored relationship with you through his forgiveness. We ask it in his name.
So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. It's not complicated. It's about a revolution, not resolution. So as you go into this new year, all you got to think about is four things. Four things. The Bible, faith, grace, and most of all, Jesus. Those four things will lead to a revolution in your heart and in your life. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.